Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How you doing this morning? Hey, listen, thank you for joining us on this crazy rainy day. You guys are awesome, right? It was so rainy this morning. I feel like I woke up, I looked outside, and I was like, hey, Elijah. What's up, dude? That's my nephew. Um, right. <laughs> I woke up, the, listen, I woke up this morning, right, and I look outside, and it's so rainy. It's so windy. I'm not going to lie. I was like, man, I'm not sure I want to go to church today. <laughs> Right? So listen, you're amazing for being here, right? You're amazing for braving the winds. I'm glad to be in church with you this morning. Totally worth it because Sunday morning, you guys are my family and there's no place I'd rather be than here with you. Amen? Amen. No, you, for real, I'm so glad to be here with you guys. But um, So we are still in this series this morning. We're talking about servanthood. We're talking about um, living inspired. That's our series, and, and today it's living inspired in when it comes to servanthood. And uh, I love that we called it living inspired. I'm glad that we started this like this year, um, on like the beginning of the year, because can I tell you, January oh, is just the time. January 1st is always when we are inspired to just do new things, right? Amen. Who has, who like made a plan for their year already? Has anybody planned their year out or, or, or goals they want to accomplish in the year? A few of you? Awesome. Listen, you the A students. God bless you. Way to go. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. There is, there is, um, we can have this, like January, we can have this plan that we are going to plan for the year. We want to get in shape. We want to go to the gym. I want to learn, you know, Greek and Hebrew. And, and there's like, you know, we have all these plans that we want to do for the year. And we can have this, all this inspiration to do it. And then it feels like sometimes I, I jump out of bed. I'm like, okay, God, today's the day. I'm going to get stuff done. I'm going to get through all my devotions today. I'm going I'm to do my Bible reading plan. And then like, you know, I'm, I'm making breakfast. I turn on the news. And within five minutes, I'm like, well, there's no point. Tomorrow it's all over, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know about you, if you ever turned on the news and it just like sucks the life right out of you, you know? And, and the thing is like, the, the, you know that, listen, I just want to say this off on the front end of this, right? There's always been bad news in the world, right? It's, it's always been there. We just have a lot of people with like magnifying glasses looking at it all now. Like you see this thing? It's huge, right? Like that's what's going on in the news world. It's kind of like weathermen. Right, you've never seen a happy weatherman on a sunny day, right? No, nobody went and studied weather so they could tell you it's 75 and sunny. Not one. There's not been one. But you look at look at a weatherman when like a hurricane's coming. They are the they are inspired, right? I mean that is their moment to shine. You, we're sitting there like hunkered down with sandbags around the house, and they're like it's be great, terrible. It's going to be terrible. Eight foot waves, you know what I mean? They love it. They love bad news, right? Same thing with your news stations. They're not going to tell you good news. Good news doesn't get views, right? That's why we have the gospel, because we have the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. We can live a life that's inspired by the life of Jesus, regardless of what's happening in the world, because we can be inspired by the servanthood and the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so listen, we're going to jump right in here. We're talking about the servanthood, uh, living inspired when it comes to servanthood. We're going to talk about the life of Jesus. We're going to talk about some uh, principles Jesus gave us. Um, we're going to move along here pretty quick. So first, your first fill in here, right, point one. For us to live a life that is inspired by the servanthood of Jesus, we must understand both the greatness of his sacrifice as well as the depths of his humility. 
the greatness of his sacrifice as well as the depths of his humility. If we really want to grasp this picture of servanthood, we have to kind of lay hold of both these truths, both these realities that coexist with one another. And think about it, right? When we talk about like the word servanthood, what comes to mind? Right? Like a waiter comes to my mind, right? You, have a, you go to a restaurant, you hopefully a nice, a nice restaurant, not like a McDonald's, right? A nice restaurant, you have like a, you have a server, right? You have a server, and they're there to bring you food, you know, and the odd request. You know, you don't like Parmesan cheese on your chicken Parmesan. That's okay. Listen, they can make that happen. You know, is anybody like that? Don't, don't raise your hand. Take that back. We, it's all good. We love you anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm just playing. Right? Like they, they want to serve you, right? But their service to you comes at a price that's paid by you. Right? You don't go to a restaurant and expect the server to work for free. And if you do, we, we, we need to get saved. <laughs> okay? Because I worked in the food industry. Okay? I, I hate to say it. And, and certainly nobody from this church, but I can remember that there were a few times that some of the worst tips I ever had when I was working as a busboy was um, people who, I know who they were, but they prayed before they ate, and they sounded real holy, and I had like a 30-cent tip. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. They weren't saved. I mean, it's just, I'm not judging, just, just saying by their actions, okay? They, they will know us by our fruit. Um, Right? And I'm not judging the heart, right? I don't know. Um, but what, at the end of the day, what we're talking about, right, is that when you go to a, a restaurant, the server serves you, but the price that's paid is by you. When we talk about biblical servanthood, biblical servanthood is when you are served by somebody who has a biblical mindset of servanthood, the price is paid by them. You see the difference? Worldly servanthood comes at a cost, right? That's paid by you. Biblical servanthood comes at a cost that's paid by the server, right? The servant. There's a difference. It's, there's a, a huge difference when we talk about like what does one mean versus the other. So we're going to talk about biblical servanthood. Mark 10 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been in the church long enough, you've heard that verse a thousand times, <laughs> right? That's a key verse. There's not always key verses that we quote on a Sunday morning, right? There's not always like, like this is one of those verses that goes stitched on a pillow, right? We like those, we like this verse, right? But let's break this down a little bit. Let's, let's look at the reality of this. There's, there's things here. We can read this, like it, what happens is we get the law of diminishing returns that to us where we read verses like this and the power of it gets a little bit lost because we've read it so many times. Let's break it down here a little bit. For one, let's understand that if anybody ever had the right to be served by humanity, it is Jesus because he is the fullness of God made flesh. Right? Jesus was walking on the earth doing his ministry. It wasn't one third of the Godhead who was here. Right? We know the Son is one of the Godhead, but the Bible says that in him the fullness of the Godhead was presently dwelling. Jesus was not the, one, the, the discount version of God walking on earth. Jesus was not half God walking on earth. He wasn't a demigod as the Greeks would have described it. He was all God as he was all man, right? He was both together, unified as one. The fullness of the, the creation of God was here serving man. He chose not to be served, and he could have. He deserved to be served. He's God, 
Anybody from any other religion would tell you that God deserves to be served. That's like a religious tenet that like all main world religions will recognize, right? But let's kind of, to use Mark Batterson's words, right, listen to him from time to time, let's juxtapose these two things together, right? Let's, let's, let's compare these two things together. You look at like, a, like Hinduism, right? The Hindus have a, a lot of gods. They have a god for everything. They have a god of the stubbed toe. They have a god of, of the, the, the lost bunny rabbit, right? They have a god of everything. Like there's a god, and if you, if you don't know, they, have a, they, they do. They literally have gods. They have idols for gods they don't even know exist because they want to make sure they don't miss any, right? They want to make sure. There's lots of them. They don't want to miss it, right? And their, and their idea of worship for God is they go to great lengths to go to temples and to set food and, and, and sacrifices before idols to make sure that the, the, the table for their idol or their God is full inside its temple, right? They understand this picture of worship is I am reduced. My God is to be magnified. I give everything I have so that this God can be lifted up. They understand it. They understand that picture of worship, but there's no picture like the picture of Jesus, who Jesus flips the script on the traditional idea of of idol worship. Jesus didn't want humanity to come and fill his table so that he could be lifted up. He left his throne room to come to humanity and fill us with his presence. He fills the table for us. Right? The psalm says, he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's not another picture of another God who's ever done that with the exception of Jesus. Right? Amen? With the exception of Jesus. And talking about idols worship, I just want to, let me just like, can I just go on like a little, little rabbit trail here? Um, you know, we as humans, we are pre-wired to worship. Do you know that? We do. We have a need to worship something. It's like built into us. We have to magnify something. It's part of our, our creation, right? And so we can quickly identify idols that we have in our life by what we serve and how we serve those things. Do you hear that? What we serve and how we serve those things, right? If it's not God, that's the, that is the, uh, the focus of our lives. What is? And can I tell you, there's a lot of people, God bless them, who like, like, it might be gar- car people. Is anybody a car person here? It's okay if you are. I'm not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just saying I'm not a car person, right? Um, I don't do, I, I don't, I don't, I, cars are just, they're just machines for me, right? And that frustrates people who are car people, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, Miguel Marrero, uh, he fixed my brakes one time, and he is a car person. Like, he's really good with cars and stuff. And he's like, he's like, what happened to your brakes? I'm like, I don't know. My car was just making the squeaky noise for a long, long time. And it stopped stopping, so I figured I needed to talk to somebody. I'm like, how bad are my brakes? He's like, you have no brakes. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, well, they should, they should do something to tell you. He's like, that squeaking noise? That's what's supposed to tell you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I, I, I forgot to listen to that a long time ago. <laughs> you know? God bless him. He was super kind about it. He's, he's you know, he, he, he's, he's fantastic, right? The, the, the idea, right, that, but that we can, we can get something that just becomes an idol because we're so obsessed with it. And that doesn't mean we don't love something. Listen, it's good to love things. It's good to be a, a car person. It's good to be a sports person. But let me ask you, are you the kind of sports person who's just, like, excited for, like, the Super Bowl? Or are you the kind of sports person who's, like, you're excited to wear your special Super Bowl shirt on the Super Bowl? Right? Because there's a difference. We've met that person, Right? You know, if you, you, don't, you don't wash their Super Bowl shirt, right? It's never been washed. 
and it hangs on a golden thread, you know, in the sunlight at 45 degrees and never moves until it's time for the Super Bowl. You, have, we, have you met that person? Maybe it's not that extreme. They're out there, right? How we serve and what we serve can quickly tell us what is an idol in our life, right? We are not called to be a people who have idols that we focus on. We're called to be a people who have our focus and our lives in alignment with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Does, does what you have have you is the question we have to ask ourselves if we're ever talking about idolatry. Does what you have have you? Okay, anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to rabbit trail too hard. I just wanted to throw that in there. I felt like that was right for this morning. So we could rightly recognize, talking about, let's, let's get back on Jesus, right? Amen. We agree, let's get back on Jesus. Okay, let's get back on Jesus. We could rightly recognize the humility of Jesus coming to walk among us and live as a man if he never did any of his ministry, right? If Jesus came to earth and like just showed up on the scene and never like, he didn't heal people, he didn't um, go to the cross, he didn't do any of the things that he did. If he just showed up as God, we could sing rightly so about the great humility of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, God of the universe chose to walk among sinful human beings, right? If Jesus showed up and established his kingdom, right, right then and there, created the millennial reign, and like we, he, just, he just established his kingdom right then and there, and, and, and there was not, not, he did nothing else, it would have been an act of great humility because God still would have left the throne room of heaven. And yet Jesus chose to not just come to earth, but to come in the most humble way possible, right? He, he chose to be born as a baby in a manger, right? God of the universe, the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus chose to come in the most humble way possible, right? There's, there, it's, tough, it's tough to beat that. That's, that's tough to beat, right? Jesus chose that. And then he chose to serve sinful human beings. Jesus was going around like doing things nobody else did. He's giving out free health care, right? No charge, you know? He's, 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 just, he's just making food pop out of baskets. No problem, you know? He's healing people. Well, like, he's not even there. People are just, they're on, they're on the other side of town. They're just getting healed because somebody had faith. Centurion had faith for a servant or a son, right? It just healed. Jesus never showed up, right? He had the ability to do these things, right? This is who he chose to serve sinful people. God of the universe chose this. Um, of all the religions of the world, let's kind of, let's continue this kind of juxtaposing, right? Of all the religions in the world, there is not one that describes God, and this is your second fill-in, by the way, God coming to serve mankind with the exception of Christianity. There is not one. You can go through, you can study all the world religions. There is not another example that even comes close to the example of servanthood and sacrifice that Jesus does. In fact, this is one of the great evidences, in my opinion, that the gospel is to be set apart from any other religious teaching or text because it's so superhuman, it can only ever be supernatural. In fact, you look at the servanthood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, and we have to come to the conclusion that it must be supernaturally written because human beings don't write stories that way. Amen? It is literally, it comes from a supernatural place because humans don't think this way. 
right? And we're going to talk about more than kind of the magnitude of that, but let's, let's get this in our, in our heads, right? Let's, let's compare any other religion. The, the nearest thing you get to servanthood like Jesus in any other religion, right, is uh, in Islam, right? The, the Quran tells, tells uh, Muslims to, to serve one another in piety and in uh, rightness. That's the nearest verse in the Quran. And the nearest thing with any other religion goes back to Greece with the story of Hercules coming and slaying monsters for people, right? Although he did that to get back on Mount Olympus, right? That's, the, those, that's it. Uh, the, there, in, in some oral traditions of Buddhism, they'll teach that Buddha did a miracle and he fed some people from a basket of cakes. That's it. That's the, that's, those are the three. Those are your three examples. The nearest three you get from any other religion about uh, even coming close to an example like Jesus. Oh, and by the way, that one from Buddhism goes back. That was written uh, second century AD. Um, so, and when Buddha was supposed to live how many hundred years BC, right? It, there's no, that's, that's, it's just an oral, oral tradition that nobody has any record of, right? So there's no, there's no, there's just no comparing that Jesus stands alone above every other religion or teaching that it must be true and it must be supernatural. Right? Amen, church? Amen. Okay. So let's, let's kind of, let's put this in a little bit of a perspective. Let's look at the, the concept of God. We talked about like we were kind of unpacking the greatness of his humility, right? It's a little bit of an oxymoron. Let's kind of look at this. You have that little descending little ladder of, of things there in your notes you should see. Right, let's kind of break this down a little bit. So, God is outside of time and existence. He, in creation, creates everything, right? He speaks and matter just obeys him and, and generates, right? Light just becomes. He, 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 he speaks it all into being because he's outside of it all, right? That's creation. God chooses then to have a relationship with the mankind for which he created, right? In fact, when the, you look in the Bible, that word Adam, um, it talks about that he is the, the first, he's made from the ground. But when it says God made Adam in his image, that word image means like a shade or a reflection, right? That's what the word image means. It means a reflection. He made Adam so near to himself, he could have relationship with a being that was not himself, right? That we were made so close. That's why the Bible says a little lower than the angels. We are made in such connection and such closeness with God to have relationship with him. We are exempt from any other creation. We are, we are not the same as any other creation, right? And God wanted to have relationship with us. And we see that first with Adam, and then later in the, in the Bible, we see that with God's relationship with Israel, right? That God desires to have relationship with us. He wants to talk and communicate and have, have connection with us. But God goes a step further, right? If we just kind of jump a few few chapters of scripture. We jump to the New Testament and God chooses to become a man. He didn't just make man. He didn't just have a relationship with man. He chose to become a man. He became one of us. We see that in the nativity. And then God in his ministry chose to serve mankind, right? He chose to serve mankind. Now, before we go any further, let's just, let's just pause here a second. We have to grasp the enormity of this before we can grasp the depth of his, his humility in this. When I went to the Grand Canyon, um, I went to the Grand Canyon after high school. My mom sent me there. Um, it was great. Um, and I remember it, it's just one of those things that was so huge, it's difficult to fully grasp, right? It's just, has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Yeah, right? It's just so big, 
right? And when I was trying to tell Gab about it one time, she was like, what's the big deal? It's just a big hole in the ground. I'm like, yeah, but it's a really big hole in the ground. <laughs> like, you don't understand. It's really, really big, you know? It's one of those things where, like, when you're looking at it, your eye, you, your, your eye can't fully grasp the size of it. Like, your whole vision is filled with the size of this thing, and its hues and colors and shapes. It's awesome, right? Same thing, like, if you've ever gone hiking and been, like, out in the stars, like, out in the dark where you can see the stars. Anybody ever been, like, out where you can really see stars well? Like, go out like places in Pennsylvania where there's just nothing, and you look up. And it's just one of those moments where you're looking up, and, like, the more you look, the more you see, right? It just kind of fills your eyes, and you can kind of have this moment of realizing just how small we are in comparison to, like, all of creation, <laughs> Right? Like, I'm really, like, those moments are good for me because I realize just how teeny tiny I really am and how teeny tiny my problems are. You know what I mean? Like, God is so huge. Right? We have to grasp the size and the magnitude of God before we can grasp the size and the magnitude of his humility because the God who made all of that chose to come and serve us. Right? If there was ever somebody who did not deserve to be served... I'm sorry, if there's anybody who did not deserve to serve, it was Jesus. Jesus deserved to be served, and yet he chose to serve us. And then one step further, he didn't just serve us, he died for us. Right? There is this, we can just make it Jesus on the cross, and it's just something we think about at Easter, or, or we think about the birth on, at Christmas, and we never really think about the intensity of the magnitude of this, right? It, it's almost, it's beyond the human mind to fully comprehend, and so we just kind of think about Jesus on a necklace on a cross, and that's it, right? When we have to recognize the fullness of his ministry is wrapped up in this picture of his servanthood. Let's look, uh, we're going to jump into John 13, 6, uh, 13, 6 to 11. So if you're following along your Bibles here, um, or you're following along at, at home looking at this on screen, I, I, I'm going to read this here with you, and we're going to look at some, some really neat things here. Uh, so this is the moment that Jesus, it is the Last Supper, which by the way, if you want to be part of our um, kind of Last Supper production here, the Living Lord's Supper. Come on out to the cast call. We'd love to have you. If you want to do makeup, it'd be great. You don't want me doing makeup. Just saying. Um, so Jesus is here. It's the Last Supper, and he is going to wash the feet of his disciples. Right? Jesus has been, he, he's been at work in the world. His ministry has been going. His fame has gone throughout the land. He is, um, he just had, uh, uh, you know, just recently, uh, Mary came and washed his feet with her tears. Uh, other ones described that his feet with um, the alabaster, uh, the perfume and the alabaster stone. Um, but here Jesus is making himself as the lowest servant at the Passover meal, and he's about to wash the feet of his disciples. And we jump right in here at verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter. And I know he's, I don't know about you, but when I read that Jesus is about to have an interaction with Peter, I get a little bit excited, <laughs> right? Because we're all like Peter. You know what I mean? I've totally had Peter moments, you know? I think we all do at some point or another. Um, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will understand afterwards. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter got it. Got to say, Peter didn't say this because Peter was having a Peter moment, right? Peter wasn't, Peter wasn't, um, you know, he gets a bad rap. If Jesus showed up at your house and just started taking off your shoes to wash, 
feet, right? You would have like a, hold on now, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't get to, I didn't, I didn't go scrub my feet yet. I haven't had my, my, my pedicure recently, right? Like you would not want, like that would be weird, right? It would be uncomfortable. It would be, it would be unique to say the least, right? And so Peter, recognizing who Jesus is, who the Messiah is that they've been looking for all these years, is like, you don't wash feet, you're the Messiah. Of course you don't wash feet. You're God. Peter believed who Jesus was. And Jesus makes a point to respond to Peter. Right? Listen to what he says. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Other versions might say, if I do not wash your feet, you have no place with me. And I love, I love Peter's response because Peter just goes, Peter's 100, like 100 miles an hour in whatever direction he's going. Right? Which is why I think Jesus chose him to be like the foundation of the church he was building after he ascends to heaven. Right? After Jesus ascends to heaven, God chose Peter for that very reason, I think. Right? So Peter says, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my head and my hands. Right? Very well. <laughs> Peter's like, no. Jesus is like, like, if I don't wash your feet, we can't have a relationship. Peter's like, deal. Hands and head, please also. Right? Whatever it was, Peter was there. He was ready for it. Jesus basically tells him this whole thing about that you're clean, with the exception of somebody's unclean. He's talking about Judas. But I want you to jump down to verse 11. All right? So he's talking about that they were all clean. He knew that one was not clean. He's talking about Judas because it says, for he knew who was about to betray him. Do you know what well, Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, right? There they are. There's the, 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 the 12 of them. They're all lined up. They're sitting at the table, right? They're, they eat. They don't eat at a table like you and I eat at a table, right? They eat like reclined. They eat like on the floor, you know? Even the picture of the living Lord's Supper, which is cool, not biblically accurate, right? Because they would have been like laying on pillows, which I think is a tradition we should bring back. I'm just saying. I think that we, we're all like old chairs. Um, just kidding. No, right, but like, so Jesus is, is, is he's going down the line, and he's washing the feet, right? And I could, in my mind, he see, he's washing the feet of John. He knows John's going to be with him at the cross. But then he's washing the feet of disciples who he knows is about to deny him, like Peter, who's, a bit, who's about to deny him three times before the sun rises. And he's about to wash the feet of Thomas, who is doubt, who's going to doubt him. That in the time between Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, Thomas is like, nah, can't, couldn't have been real, couldn't have happened. And there's Jesus washing Thomas' feet. And Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Right? Judas was not exempt from the foot washing. In fact, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. And I can tell you, it's different. A, a traitor is different from your enemy. Right? Because your enemy is an opponent. In fact, you can have respect for your opponent. I did judo for like a very short period of time for which I suffered greatly. Um, but I can tell you like having an opponent that you could, it could be your opponent, it could be your enemy and you could even have some respect for your enemy because at least you understand what side they're on. Your traitor pretends to be on your side and then is against you. Jesus knew that Judas was his traitor and yet Jesus was going to ensure that Judas's feet got washed that day. Judas's time was about to end as well. Jesus knew that too. And he was going to make sure that even Judas' feet got washed. Right? Jesus wasn't just there for his friends. Jesus wasn't just there for his, the disciples he knew would be faithful. He was there for all of them. They all got their feet washed. This is a perfect picture 
of the salvation experience. Can I tell you, have you ever had your foot washed, your feet washed by people? I'm not talking about a pedicure, right? I don't, I've never had a pedicure, okay? But I can tell that but you generally don't go to a pedicure after walking like six or seven miles in a day, right? That's not, that's not the time you go for a pedicure, right? Having your foot washed is a very humbling experience, Right, it, it, it's one of the few experiences that is both is humbling for two people. Right, the person who's about to wash your feet. I'm not talking about again. I'm talking about stinky feet. Right, I'm talking about the the biblical picture of having your feet washed. Right, the servant has to humble himself to wash your feet. But for us, there's also this level we have to humble ourselves to allow our feet to be washed. Amen. Have you ever experienced that? Can I tell you um, when when Gab and I first started our internship, uh, PJ made it a point that he would wash all the feet of his interns on like day one of their internship, and uh, that sounds really awesome. But he would do it after we had like a full day walking around um, like Washington's Crossing at the Delaware River, right? We would be out like all day, and I'd be wearing shoes like these, right? Like these puppies aren't breathing, you know. And so, like, it's been, like, it's now, like, 6 o'clock at night. We started the day at, like, 9. We've been on our feet all day. We've been having this awesome, like, start of internship process. And he goes and washes our feet. Can I tell you? He could have set himself up for success by doing it on the front end of the day, right? But he did that on the back end, and it was not a pleasant experience. How much more so when Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples when the primary source of footwear was sandals, Right? on dirt roads, on dirt streets, with like dried manure dust everywhere, because that's just how it happens if you've ever been around animals, farm animals, right? It, I, I can only imagine it was that kind of dust that like just, it gets everywhere. You know, have you ever been hiking like on a trail, like it, it, on a hike, and there's just like that dust that just, you can wear boots all you want, but somehow it gets in there, right? That's the kind of like, that's the environment Jesus, Jesus chose to wash feet in that condition. Right, and, if, and the lowest servant of the household, right, that was their job. They didn't just wash feet, like they were like their own little like podiatrist, right? Because what you would do is you would wash their feet, and then you'd look for sores. If there were sores, you would anoint them and, 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 and wash them and take care of them so that like blisters didn't get infected. That, that was a thing to do, especially before the Passover meal, right? That's the big, that's their Thanksgiving moment, right? Like, so they're going to make sure that the, the, it's the job of the lowest servant, and it's not a short process. In our minds, we have like this, this sanitized version of like foot washing that we get from, I don't know where, we just kind of figured Jesus had like a basin just was pouring water on people's feet. Like everybody's feet is just getting a nice drink of water. Like that's not it, right? The foot washing process is one where Jesus, it says that he disrobed, he grabbed a basin, right, and water, and he would have to get down on his knees. I don't know about you, but for guys, our center of gravity is up here, right? Which means I can only go about here, and then that's about as far as I can go, which means that Jesus either had to hold, had to wash feet down here like this or up here like this, which is not a pleasant experience, <laughs> right? That's not a fun place to be with stinky, dirty feet, right? And it's not a fast process. It's slow. It, you have to replenish the water. You, it's not going to be, it's like, this is not, this takes time. That's why it was the job of the lowest servant of the household, and here's Jesus, God of the universe, the Trinity made flesh, making sure that blisters aren't going to pop and get infected. Right? Of course they didn't understand what he was doing. Of course they were missing it. Of course Peter doesn't want him to do it. And Peter has to humble himself and be served. 
That's why it's the picture, that, that's that, that perfect picture. I mean, this is, consider this, Jesus chose to do this as his last act before the cross. To wash the feet of his, his friends, his doubters, his deniers, and his betrayers. And he, can, he, he commands us to go and do likewise with one another. Right? That's, that's the job of the church right now. Jesus, you know, we can, we can serve in ministry for so long. We can get this idea that we, we have a title when it comes to, to serving in a ministry. Can I tell you, Jesus never came to give out titles. He, gave, he came to give out towels. Do you hear that? We are, if, if we as a church put down the towel and pick up a title, we're no longer the church. There was a, a, a story I heard that a, a couple Moody Bible School graduates uh, a couple years ago were looking to, to do something in the missions field in their local community. And they were looking for how do they serve their local community. And they found that there was an LGBTQ um, uh, 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 Olympics that was going on in one of the stadiums nearby. And so they set up in the stadium a foot washing area where they're going to give out free water and wash feet. And that's what they were going to do. That was going to be their that was going to be their mission. That was going to be their outreach. They just had the, the church name, and there's foot washing statement with free water, and they sat there and they washed feet, right? And compare that. With, and by the way, feet of people who were running around track all day, running, walking around a stadium all day. They were there to wash people's feet. And just down the road, there were people holding up signs. They're saying turn or burn. Can I ask you who was ministering the gospel of Jesus that day? Right? Who was it that was ministering the example in the gospel of Jesus? Listen, I'm not saying that we are not a church that stands against darkness and evil. When we get on our knees low enough to wash the feet of even our enemies, we are standing against evil. Amen? In fact, we never stand taller in the spiritual realm than we were on our knees. That's why the church chose to pray. You know, we don't, like, like the classic prayer stance, right? This classic prayer stance, this is not a prayer stance that like exists anywhere in Scripture specifically. This is the, this is the stance of surrender. Do you know that? When, when if you were in first century Rome, this is the equivalent of like, like get on your face and put your hands behind your back. That's what this is. First century Rome, if you're being arrested by um, Roman centurions, you would get on your knees, you put your feet like this, you put your hands out in front of you. Because that means your feet and your hands were free to be clasped. In fact, from this position, there's at least three movements to get on my feet. I can't just, right? I'm not a danger very quickly in this position. That's why this is the position of surrender. That's why Chris, the early church, prayed in this position. Because we were surrendering to Jesus. We were humbling ourselves, saying, God, you are the one that lives in me, not me. Your desires are the ones that I'm going to serve, not mine. I'm going to serve the world the way you want me to serve, not the way I want to be served. Right? That's the picture of surrender. Right? Complete release to the Lord. That we are prisoners of Christ, and as we are prisoners of Christ, we are never more free in our lives. Amen? Oh, gosh. Amen. Jesus set the example, number three there, there's no fill-in for this, and I'm sorry. Jesus set the example of true kingdom greatness, that being humble enough to wash feet, even the feet of your enemies, is our picture of greatness in the kingdom. Matthew 20, verse 27, and, and I'm going to have Dave actually come up here as we're wrapping up with this. Uh, he's just going to play the guitar in the background and make me found, sound really spiritual. Um, Matthew 20, 27, Jesus said, uh, and whoever will be chief among you, 
let him be your servant. That's why I started this off. I was talking about how this is, it has to be the only way that the gospel can be true is if it's supernatural because human beings do not think this way. We don't have a good enough mind in our minds to think this way, right? True servanthood from a biblical perspective is not about what we get. And can I tell you, so many of us come to Christ, come to Jesus, because we're looking to get something from God. And can I tell you, listen, God has awesome things in store for you. I don't want to, I don't want to sell you a false gospel either. Like there, there is never more fulfillment or purpose than when we are in Jesus, there's never a better experience of life than when we are in Jesus. But if we come trying to get something from heaven, we're going to miss out on all that God wants to give to us because he's called us to give something to the world around us. Jesus did not withhold serving even his enemies. And we in, this, in the church can become so quick to condemn sin and never serve the sinner. Man, if we lose picture of, of the towel, we're losing picture of the cross. We can't go to the cross. You know, we can't come to Jesus and think that we have our lives okay. There's no world that we can come to Jesus and think that our life is perfect. Right? We have to humble ourselves to go to Jesus because he humbled himself for us. I can't sit here and be like, everything's perfect. I got it all, all, my, all the chess pieces of my life are all in their perfect little place. They're good. They're not messed up. I, I have figured life out. I have hacked life. It's good. I'm going to go to Jesus now and just sign on the dotted line for, the, for fire insurance. That's not the picture of the gospel message. That's not the picture of the cross. It is complete surrender. And if we're willing to surrender to Jesus, that means we are willing to serve those around us. And listen, I, just as a balancing statement here, that doesn't mean that you're a doormat. That doesn't mean you serve people into abuse where you just let people abuse you. That's not what it's talking about. It means loving your neighbor, even your neighbor that seems unlovable. That doesn't put you in a position of weakness, church. That puts us in a position of power, right? Because love is powerful. When we love our neighbor, we're showing them the power that is in Christ Jesus, whoever our neighbor may be, right? Amen? So I know this is a heavy, I, like, I know this is a heavy topic sometimes. I know this is going to be hard. And for some of you, this is hard. This, is, this might be even, even hitting some sore points when we're talking about the people that we serve. Because some of you are in this room and you have been abused by people. And you've tried to do it the Christ way thing. And you've been hurt. You've been wounded. Some of you have been served in ministry for so many years. And you've just gotten burned by people in ministry. And you've, or betrayed by people in ministry. And you just feel like, man, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to do the servanthood thing, but I've just been, I've been hit too many times. I've been beat down too many times. I've been betrayed too many times. I've got the knife still in my back from the last time I was trying to serve people. Listen, that doesn't mean that, it, that one, that doesn't mean that you weren't betrayed. And secondly, it doesn't mean that that's what God wants for you. But even Jesus was betrayed. And so we can't be too proud to not do the work to say, okay, Jesus, I'm coming back to being a biblical servant. I know that there's a price to it. I know that it doesn't always feel good. But I want to do it because we don't, we don't serve, you know, we don't serve others because we're trying to get holy. We serve others because God has made us holy. We're not trying to serve people because we can to make kingdom dollars. We can buy our way into heaven. Heaven has been unlocked to us in its fullest. So we can serve because we've been made free. 
So wherever you're at this morning, listen, hey, maybe you're here this morning, and like I said, you, you've been just wounded. Maybe you've been hurt in ministry, and you, you, you're not quite ready to, to just jump back in. That's okay. Can I tell you, that's the place that you need to let Jesus come and serve you. That's one of those places that you need to let the Holy Spirit come and wash your feet one more time. That's one of those places that we need to humble ourselves and let go of regret or hurt or shame, fear, worry, doubt. Come back to the simple gospel. Jesus, you did this for me. I can now go and do this for others. Right? Amen? If we do that, listen, you don't have to, I'm not saying you have to go and make some great, you know, change in your life or, 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 or all, turn your world upside down to try and do it. What's, what, the best way we can serve, the, we can wash the feet of the world around us and truly serve, live a life that's inspired by servanthood is, is take whatever opportunity we have in front of us and make that a moment we can love somebody the way Jesus loves them. Make his love felt tangibly in their life. That's what foot washing is. It's I'm going to make God's love for you feel felt. And it doesn't have to be anything huge. It can be small. It can be simple. It can be, it can be, uh, the, it can be the least thing. It can be the last thing on your mind. But what the, the smallest thing, the smallest opportunity set before you in God's hands is far more than we could ever do on our own. Amen. So, hey, listen, let's just, will you stand with me uh, as we close here this morning? If you're able, please stand with me. Like I said, I know that it's, I know it's a heavy topic. I know it can be, I know it can be weighty. I know it can be, I know it can be difficult sometimes to, to get humble and serve those around us or, or get empty of all the preconceptions that we can have of, of what servanthood is supposed to look like and just get back to the simple gospel. But can I tell you, I really believe that God has a desire for us as a church to be a church that in greater ways, in greater depths, sees the gospel spread through acts of kindness, acts of service, acts of servanthood. That God has something for us this, this year, 2024. This, is not, this, this might be the year that you've been dreading for the past four, but this could be the year that God wants to do more with you than you ever thought he could do. Will you give him the chance to take our loaves and fishes and do with them more than we ever could? Amen? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just surrender to you afresh and anew. In fact, church, if you would just with me, could we just like lift our hands in a sign of surrender? Lord, we surrender our preconceptions of what spreading the gospel about being a Christian is supposed to look like, God. And we come back to the simple gospel of how do we serve our neighbor. Lord, we help us to see those around us the way you do. Help us to love those around us the way you do. Father, help us to be the church the way you've called us to be. Lord, we repent of everywhere that we have, have desired righteousness over grace. Father, we repent of every place that we have desired to see um, people set right instead of see people set free. Help us to be a people that point a broken world back to you, Jesus, that the simple gospel would go out in power, in truth, Father, and through servanthood. Help us to be the kind of people that see your presence made and felt all throughout the world. In the name of Jesus, if you agree with me, can you say amen?